that we're at is the final words that Jesus will, would speak to his entire disciples in, in a teaching way. Uh, there's a few comments in, in the garden that he makes to his disciples, but it, it seems like this is his final teaching moment before he goes to the cross. And we're going to be reading verse 16 down to verse 33. If you're able to stand with me for the reading of God's word, please do so. John 16, beginning in verse 16. The Bible says, A little while, and you shall not see me. And again, a little while, and you shall see me, because I go to the Father. Then some of his disciples said among themselves, What is this that he said to us? A little while, and you shall not see me. And again, a little while, and you shall see me, because I go to the Father. Therefore, they said, what is this that he says? A little while. We cannot tell what he says. Now Jesus knew that they desired to ask him and said to them, are you inquiring among yourselves of what I said? A little while, and you shall not see me. And again, a little while, and you shall see me. Truly, truly, I say to you that you shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice. And you shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she has delivered the child, she does not remember the anguish for joy that a man is born into the world. And therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and no man will take your joy from you. And on that day you shall ask me nothing. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. Until now have you asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you shall receive, that your joy may be full. I have spoken these things to you in Proverbs, but the time is coming when I shall speak no longer in Proverbs, but I shall tell you plainly about the Father. On that day you shall ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father for you. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. His disciples said to him, Behold, now you speak plainly and do not speak a proverb. Now we are sure that you know all things and do not need any man to ask you. By this we believe that you came forth from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, yes, and has now come, that you shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. I have spoken these things to you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we turn to you now at this moment, and I ask that you will give me grace and wisdom and the power of your spirit as I speak and preach. I pray that you will uh, allow the word to fall on, on soft soil, that there will be reception and faith, and that you will be exalted here in our church today. Lift your son high. Bring every soul to you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.
may be seated. I've entitled the message, Jesus Reassures His Disciples. They are very worried. They are very concerned. Jesus has said He's going away. These disciples have been with Jesus for three years, three and a half years, and now Jesus is leaving them. Jesus is trying to reassure them that things will be okay. Sounds very bad, but Jesus is telling them it will be okay. Have you ever been in a time in your life where you felt like things were changing and they were not going to be okay? Well, Jesus here gives some assurance to them that things will be okay. For the Christian, we have this assurance for our own life that things will be okay. One way or another, God will lead us through every situation. He's told them a lot of truth, and they didn't understand it all. Sometimes we don't understand everything that Jesus is trying to teach us either. But we can hold to the things we do understand. We can hold to the truth that we do know. And we must not be overly concerned with what we don't know uh, and spend so much time on that that we forget the things that we do know. In these first uh, four verses or so, verse 16 through verse 19, we won't read them again, but there's this phrase this statement Jesus makes, a little while and the world will see me no more. And then he goes on to say, I'm I'm sorry, verse 16, a little while you shall not see me. And again, a little while and you shall see me because I go to the Father. That phrase is brought up three times in these verses and they're saying, we don't understand. Why is Jesus saying this? And what does he mean by we're going to, you know, you're not going to see me, then you're going to see me. What is he talking about? Well, very simply, Jesus is talking about the fact that he's going to die. And for that short time while he's in the grave, they will not see him. Um, Most of the disciples saw him the Sunday night that he was resurrected. So later that day, we would say in our vernacular, later that day, they saw the Lord Jesus. Now, Thomas missed the meeting. Thomas didn't see him for a whole nother week. And a um, little side note there, you never know what you miss when you, when you skip out on the gathering of saints, right? But, um, but, but most of them saw him. So it was just a very short time, a very little window where he, they didn't see him, and then they saw him again. And if you notice, um, later, further on down, it, it explains that it says the world will rejoice, but you will be sorrowful, right? Well, that phrase is explaining the, the context, and it's saying the world will be happy and you will be sad. And who is happy when Jesus dies? Well, the high priest and the Pharisees and the enemies of Jesus, and they were were absolutely jumping up and down that Jesus was gone. And the disciples are brokenhearted. And yet the Bible says that that situation would be reversed. And so Jesus is telling them, you're not going to see me, and then a little while you shall see me. And he does use a different word for see. And you can't see this in English, but in the first word, he says, a little while you shall not see me. And the emphasis is on visual sight. The second time he says, you will see me, he, he, it has more the idea of to see with understanding, to, to comprehend, right? And so Jesus is saying, you're not going to see me, I'm going to be gone, but then you will see me and in a different way, in a new way, you'll understand me. And they're kind of like, confused. They're, they're not understanding. So Jesus tries to explain himself. So look at his explanation of this. This is the sorrow turned to joy. Verse 20 through 22. 
Truly, truly, I say to you that you shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice. And when you shall be sorrowful, and you shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. That's verse 20. They, the world is rejoicing. The disciples are sorrowing. But Jesus says this sorrow will be turned into joy. And this is what Jesus is telling his disciples. The sorrow you have is temporary. Your sorrow will be turned into joy. Um, there's another verse in the Old Testament that says, Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And sooner or later, and that's an important qualifier, sooner or later, God takes our sorrows and he turns them into joy. Now, sometimes that takes a while. Sometimes it's not just a little while like it is here. However, let me remind us that a little while is kind of a relative term, isn't it? What is a little while? Depends on who you talk to. If you talk to a five-year-old and they are told that you can have this candy tomorrow, I mean, that little while is a long while. That's a whole, that's 24 hours. Oh my goodness, how can I wait 24 hours? But you talk to someone who's 65 or 75 and you say, um, has life passed you by quickly? Oh yes, went by so fast, so quickly, right? Just a little while. And so there's a perspective element, but we as believers are told that we suffer trials that are but for a moment. But on that day, that our glory will be revealed and we'll look back and, and we won't wish that we hadn't gone through those trials because now we see what God did through them. So a little while, a short time. All right, what, what, is, what is that? Well, Jesus is reassuring them. And Christian, can I just take a moment and tell you this? If you're going through a valley, if you're going through a season of discouragement and despair, remember that it is only for a season. It's only for a time. And God in His power in your life, if you are His child, the Bible promises He will work all things together for good. And so sometimes we wait in faith and we say, dear God, this little while seems to be going on for a long while, but I'm going to keep looking to You. I'm going to keep trusting. I'm going to keep holding on because Your Word says that You work all things together for good. And so we see how God can take that little while and He says, I will transform it. He uses the picture of a woman giving birth. And when a woman gives birth, if, if you try to, the best advice is don't try to talk to a woman who's giving birth because they're, they're rather honed in and not, not doing so well. But they're going through some of the worst pain of their life. And sometimes they cry out, sometimes they even scream, and it's very, very traumatic, right? This awful, awful pain. But once that baby is born, and once that baby is in their arms, and they're looking down at that precious life, they all of a sudden have something that, that they wouldn't say is an awful thing. They would say it's a wonderful thing. It's a beautiful thing, right? And, and so it is with when God works in our life, we in the moment say, this is awful. Make it stop. Make it stop. But when it's done and we see the result and we see what God does, we now say, oh, it's beautiful and I wouldn't change a thing. So this is how God works. And so verse 22, he talks about their sorrow. Therefore, now you have sorrow but I will see you again. I love that little phrase. I will see you again. Jesus tells them, I'm going to see you again. And it's, you would think he would say, you will see me again, you know, because he says, I'm going away and you won't see me. Right? But now he says, I will see you again. 
Such a beautiful promise. I will see you again. And then he says, your heart shall rejoice and no man will take your joy from you. Now we can read examples of this when they rejoiced. John 20, 20 verse 20 says, after the resurrection, Jesus shows him his hands and his side. And it says, then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Um, Luke 24, um, this is at the, at the ascension. Now you think about this for a minute. Jesus has told them he's leaving. And the Bible says at the ascension that he was there with them. And it says as he blessed them. Jesus is pronouncing a blessing on his disciples. And he's blessing them. He's teaching them. And he's showing his love for them. And suddenly he starts to ascend up into heaven. Now you would think they would be like, no, no, come back. No, no. But you know what the Bible says? What the Bible says is this. They worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. They were rejoicing. Even as Jesus has ascended to heaven and he was gone, they were rejoicing and their sorrow was turned to joy. They understood Jesus now like they hadn't seen him before. Can I just say this? When you don't understand who Jesus is, you also can't understand life. You, you, you don't see how it fits together and, and you're, you're in darkness, you're confused. But then when you know who Jesus is, and you have a, a faith relationship with him. You know what? The Bible says it can transform our emotions. It can transform us from sorrow to joy. Before I knew Jesus, I was under the guilt of my sin. Before I knew Christ, I was confused. I was lost. I didn't have joy. I was full of sorrow and very much, you know, in my own little world of problems and suffering. But then when I knew Christ and I saw him as a, the sacrifice for my sin and I saw him for this, who he was, the son of God given for me and I trusted him by faith, my sorrow was turned to joy. My guilt was turned to freedom. And see, the, this happens in salvation, in, in moving from death into life, the Bible says. And, and it also happens in smaller ways as we grow in Christ. And, and sometimes we go through situations where um, you know, we don't understand and we don't see, but God in his own way can bring us from sorrow to joy. Now in these next verses, Jesus is going to build off of what he's already said. It's important to understand these verses in relation to the whole passage. He's talked about how he's going away for a short time, then they will see him again, and he's saying all of this is happening because he must go to his father, he's going to ascend to his father. So then verse 23 says, On that day you shall ask me nothing. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. I believe what Jesus is teaching here is he's not saying you'll never have another question. All right, I don't think he's saying that. I think he's teaching that this change that's happening will transform the way they pray. Because before they had prayed we might say directly to the Father without any reference to Christ, right? Jesus taught them the Lord's Prayer, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, right? And, and that's kind of how that prayer was set up. But now he's saying you're going to pray in my name. And so you're going to pray, and, and uh, again, it's a little bit of a mystery, but we pray to the Father through Christ. And Christ is the mediator, and, and through him we pray to the Father. And so they won't uh, be asking their questions to Jesus alone, but they'll be speaking to the Father through Christ. 
And he goes on to explain it. He says, whatever you ask the Father, verse 23, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. And, and see, our relationship to God is always through Jesus. We, we, don't, come to, we don't come to God alone. <laughs> we don't come to God on our own. We don't come to him on our works, on our, our goodness, um, on the things we do. No, we come to the Father through Jesus. And that's such an important point. It, it's the central point of Christianity is that we needed Christ. And, and so we come through him. Now, uh, a couple other things, verse 24 and 25, we'll, we'll pass through these quickly. Until now have you asked nothing in my name. Ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. See, the joy we have in Christ is very much connected to our prayer life. And um, he says, you ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. Then he says, ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Before now, they hadn't prayed in Jesus' name, right? But now they would because he, through the cross, through the resurrection, had accomplished that open door from this world to heaven. The Bible even calls it... <laughs> The Bible even uses this, this expression that within the holy place of heaven there is an anchor. And the idea is that anchor has a line that comes down to us. And we are anchored to God through Christ as Christ has ascended to heaven. And so by faith we are the Lord's through Jesus. And, and so he, he lays these truths out in, in these verses. And quickly in verse 26 he says, I've spoken in Proverbs. It's the idea of... of, of cryptic sayings or dark sayings or we might use the word parable or a figure of speech and and he says i have spoken in proverbs but but now i'm going to speak directly and clearly and he does this through his holy spirit and um you know you, you think of all the clarity that's given in the epistles and the the letters that followed um jesus is simply saying there i will be more direct with you uh from here on out now that all of this is done now, moving ahead, I want to look at verse 27. This is an important verse. And this reassurance he's giving them, he's bringing them through these things. He's helping them understand so they will not be so fearful. They will not be shaken. And even though they will be for a moment and for a few days, they will be very unsettled. But Jesus gives them these truths so that they can process it and they can work through it and they can overcome it. And this is such a simple, simple thing. But I want you to look at verse 27. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. This is, a, this is an important truth that we, we sometimes, um, we, sometimes we know it and other times we know it but not correctly. But the simple truth is this. God loves us. God loves us. God the Father loves us. And sometimes people kind of get this idea that, that Jesus loves us, but God the Father does not. And so Jesus has to kind of convince the Father to love us. And if it wasn't for Jesus, God the Father wouldn't love us. Well, no, that's, that's not at all correct. Um, John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. So, so the love that sent Christ was in the Father's heart before Christ ever came. And, and so that is not correct. But, but here in this verse... It's saying that God the Father loves us because we have loved Jesus. Hmm. Now you say, doesn't God the Father love everyone? Yes, he does. He loves everyone, but he does not have an open relationship with everyone. 
Because the relationship we have with him is through Christ. And we might say it this way, you know, it, one person can love someone that doesn't love them back, right? That's possible. That happens, right? But when someone loves someone and then they love them in return, that opens up a new or a deep relationship, right? I mean, if you have one person that doesn't love the other, I mean, things aren't going to work out, right? Things aren't going to go forward. But when you have someone who loves the other one in return, that changes things. And he says here, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. In other words, God the Father's love has reached you. You love me. He loves you. And there is a relationship here. There's an ongoing connection here. And do you see how important it says at the end of verse 27, it says, and have believed that I came forth from God. See, Jesus is telling the disciples, you have believed. Now, they believed several things about Jesus, but they believed that he came from God. Do you know there are, are people that teach that Jesus did not come from God? There are people that say Jesus was just a man like you and I. Well, I got, I got news. I, I didn't come from God, and you didn't either. Now, we're created by God, yes, right? But I didn't come, like, from heaven, right? No, I was born on earth. That was, this is my starting point right here. You and I, we did not come from God. The word from here is very important. The way, the way the Greek language works when it says come from God, the idea is that when it says come forth, it means to come forth out of God himself. All right? It's not just saying that, that you have some connection to God or created by God. It's saying to come from God, out from within God, we might say. That came forth has a preposition with it, E-K, ek, and it means out from within. And so, so there's a coming forth from the Father, and he says, you believe this. And those who teach that Jesus is just a man, or some people say he's an angel, um, these different things, they're teaching a Jesus that is not of the Bible. And they're teaching a Jesus that the disciples didn't believe that kind of Jesus. They believed the Jesus who came from the Father and he says, you believe this. And that belief is the, 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 the bridge whereby this love goes back and forth. And so as we preach Christ, we preach that Christ is the, the, the Lamb of God, the Son of God, the one God himself come in flesh. And, and verse 28 actually tells it even better. So let's, let's jump ahead to verse 28. He says, I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. Now, those four statements are so simple. But Jesus says, I came forth from the Father. I came into the world. And then now he says, and I, I leave the world and I go to the Father. All right, pretty simple. But in that one verse, he lays out the big picture of what Jesus did. He came from God. He came into this world. He lived his life perfect life he died for our sins and now that that is all complete he goes back to the father so where does this leave us well let let me just show how this picture in verse 28 is very very different from what other religions teach and when i say other religions i mean you know completely other religions like buddhism and, and hinduism but i also mean even some that would call themselves christian but they uh they don't necessarily understand the Jesus of the Bible or, or what's being taught here. 
And that is that when Jesus came down, he came to us. Remember how I said God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son? You see, him leaving the Father and coming to us was a mission. It was a, a purpose. Jesus came on purpose. It was not with no purpose. No, he came for the people. And so he came, he left heaven, and he came to this earth. And when he came, he is just about in the passage. He is just about. It, literally less than a day away, he will be crucified on a cross. He will give his life. And the Bible says that when he, uh, he cried out with a loud voice, and then it says he yielded up his spirit. And, and I point that out because the, the phrasing and the way that's worded says Jesus gave up his spirit. It doesn't say it was taken from him, it was given up. And Jesus gave his life as a payment for our sin, as the only payment. And then he went back to the Father. What this shows us is that God came to us, that God reached down to us. Other religions, they teach the opposite. They teach that we must go to God, that we must reach to God. And so they have what I call the stair step or the ladder, if you will. And they have these rungs on the ladder. And so the first rung is you got to do good and you got to um, you know, say your prayers and go to church and give your money and all these different things that you have to do to reach God. And, and if you're good enough and if you try hard enough, you can reach God. Well, first of all, the Bible doesn't teach that anywhere. And in fact, it teaches the opposite. It, the Bible even says that, that when we're saved, that it's to the man that works not. Now, that doesn't mean we don't ever do anything. We still go to work and we still seek to do our best for the Lord. But the idea is that my faith is in Christ and not my works not my efforts. And so what happened is instead of me reaching up to God, God reached down to me. He sent Christ for me. He gave his son for me. And this is the direction. And, and Jesus, he, he simply says, look, the father loves you because you, you have loved me and you believed that I came forth from God. There are so many people in this day that say, nah, he's, he's not God. He might be a prophet, maybe. But he's not God. He's not the son of God. They, some of his opponents even told him this. We're not a Samaritan like you. And they're implying that his father was a Gentile. And that his mother was a Jew. And that he was born of fornication. They say, ah, that, that's who you are. That's who you are, Jesus. But Jesus says, you didn't believe that. You believed that I came forth from God. That's why we have the virgin birth. Because God was his father. And Mary was his mother. Verse 29, these disciples, they love what Jesus has said here. And they really embrace this. And they say, behold, now you speak plainly and do not speak a proverb. Now we are sure that you know all things and do not need any man to ask you. By this, we believe that you came forth from God. They agree with Jesus word for word. They say, we agree that you came forth from God. And they say, we believe you, Jesus. You're speaking plainly. We are sure you know all things. Now, let's just pause right there. Does that sound like a regular old prophet to you? You know all things. Does that sound like a Samaritan born of fornication? You know all things. No, you know all things kind of sounds like God Almighty. That's right. You know all things. And they say, you have come forth from the Father. You have, we believe you and and." 
they are agreeing with what Jesus has said. And so uh, they're, they're very, uh, very pleased. They declare their faith. And Jesus, his response in verse 31 is a little bit, um, I don't quite know how to take it. Look at verse 31. Jesus says, do you now believe? Do you now believe? And I don't think Jesus is telling them that they don't actually believe. Okay, I don't think Jesus is telling them that. Because they did believe. But I think, you know, he uses that word now. Do you now believe? Do you now believe? And I think he's, he's, he's pointing out that at this moment, this is an interesting time to state something like this, because this is where it all hits the fire, and this is where it gets difficult. Is it, is it at this point that you believe? Well, let's see how things unfold. And he was, maybe we would say, warning them or challenging them about the fact their faith would be tested. And when it was tested, they didn't do so well. I want to encourage us with this, that sometimes our faith is tested and we don't do so well either. Sometimes we drop the ball with these tests. And the lesson should not be, I guess I just don't believe. I, I'm, I'm just not a child of God. No, that, that's not the lesson. And Jesus is not trying to convince them of that. You know what he's trying to say is, well, <laughs> your faith will be tested and I'm seeking to grow that faith, right? Jesus is seeking to grow that faith. And so the faith is weak and, and sometimes falters, but guess what? Jesus will reach out to Peter and say, do you love me? Feed my lambs. And he restores him back. And their faith only grows stronger from here on out. Okay, their faith is, is growing. Yes, it's faltering, but it's growing. And Christian, if you faltered in the past, don't let that be an end post. Don't let that be a, well, I guess I just can't do anything for God because I did X, Y, and Z and I failed in this. no. No, that's, it's a learning point and grow from here on out. Now, I've been trying to get down to this final section. I want you to look at verse 33 with me. Verse 33 is a conclusion and a summary. And there are some beautiful, important things in this verse. I have spoken these things to you that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Jesus says to them, I've spoken all these things to you so that in me you can have peace. Now notice he does not say, I've spoken these things so you can have peace. But he says, I've spoken them so that you can have peace in me. See, the peace that we have in this world is not found in anything except Jesus Christ. Now, sometimes we have a little temporary peace, you know? Sometimes, what do you think of when you think of the word peace? Some people think of an ocean beach with no one on it, and the waves just kind of rolling in. And, and you have a little uh, umbrella there, and, and you're kind of laying out on, on the, the chair, and you hear these waves, and it's a perfect 72 degree, and people say, peace. This is peace, right? This is, this is where, this is peace right here. And, um, you know, so for some people, it's a mountain view with the birds chirping and they're on the deck. And this is peace, right? Well, he says, you can have peace in me. 
And, and what he's saying, he's not saying that, you know, you'll have a peaceful life of circumstance because some people have more of a peaceful life than others and some people have very little peaceful circumstances. But, but circumstances change all the time. I mean, up and down, you know, uh, bigger, better, smaller, worse, health, trouble, this, all these other things, these things happen all around us. And he says, in the world, you're going to have tribulation. Oh, okay. Well, things are going to go bad in the world. Things are going to go wrong in the world. Jesus didn't promise that, that the circumstances would work out for them. But he says, in me, you can have peace. So what, what he's putting these two things together. There's a world of tribulation, and in me, you can have peace. So what this is saying is it's no promise of circumstance. The Bible never promises us a certain set of circumstances. Boy, I could get, I could get really off the path with this one. We're going to start our study of Job in the next service. And if you think God just promises all of his children peaceful circumstances, you're wrong. God assures us there will be difficulties and trials. And he says, in this world, you will have tribulation. But then he says this, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So how is it that I am supposed to have peace in the midst of a world of tribulation? Here's a world of problems. Here's a world all around me, and I'm stuck right in the middle of it. And I look around and I say, oh boy, oh no, this is wrong. That's, oh, you know, look at that, look at that. How can I have peace? Jesus says, you have peace in me because I have overcome all of that. I have overcome the world, the world of tribulation, the world of hatred, the world of sorrow, the world of sickness. Jesus has overcome it all. And so the peace that I can have is that I know the one who has overcome all of that. We, by faith, are connected to Jesus in the heavens, the God of all power and might, the God who's promised to make all wrongs right, the God who has given us forgiveness through Jesus. That means I live in a world of tribulation, but I have peace in my heart through Jesus. Sometimes we get to thinking, if I had this, then I would have peace. If only I had more money, then I would be at peace. If only I had my health, then I would be at peace. If only I had that relationship with my son or daughter or sister or brother that I always wanted to have and, and it's just broken down. If only I had that relationship, I would have peace. But Jesus here says that he is the source of peace. In Christ, we have peace. How can it be that we have peace through Christ? Because he has overcome the world. That word overcome is actually the word for conquer. Conquer. It's, it's, if you want a, um, an English word that we use, it's the brand Nike. All right, the brand Nike is just do it, right? And, and Jesus did it, all right? It, he overcame it, he conquered. It's that word to conquer. And so Jesus is saying, and, and, and I, wa I want to also explain the word cheer. When he says be of good cheer, he's not speaking of being giddy or, or even, we wouldn't even maybe use the word happy, but it's, it's kind of like using the phrase, if, if I could put it in colloquial English, it would be keep your chin up. I have overcome the world. And it's this idea, it adds a little bit of courage 
and spirit. Have some spirit about you. Have some courage about you. I have overcome the world. And so what happens for me in my Christian life is that things go on around me and I get to look in and I get to worry and I start to lose my peace. And then what I need to do is I need to look to Jesus and I need to say, dear Jesus, you know about these things. You have lived in a world as I have lived in this world. You have endured these things as I am enduring them now. And so you know my suffering and Lord Jesus, you have overcome this. You have conquered this world. You have defeated it by your power and therefore I too can defeat this world by your power. You say, well, that sounds a little bold to say uh, that we can defeat the world. Let me read to you from 1 John chapter 5. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. You see, not only did Jesus overcome the world as a whole, and not only did Jesus overcome his world, so to speak, but Jesus can overcome our world. And so as I have my faith in Him, and I look to Him, and I trust in Him, He gives me peace. And He assures me that sooner or later there will be victory. And I can overcome the world, my world, through Jesus. So Jesus not has only, He didn't just win the big picture, but He wins my little picture. He is my victory. He is my source of overcoming because you know why? I have believed that Jesus is the Son of God and I have faith in Him and that faith gives me strength to overcome the world. You know, as I was thinking about this passage, Jesus spoke to His disciples a whole lot and He's telling them final things before He goes to the cross. And do you know what the final thing Jesus said in a teaching context to all of His disciples? It's this phrase right here. I have overcome the world. I want you to fast forward about 18 hours and we see Jesus on the cross. And the, the soldiers are mocking and the people are challenging Him. If you're really the Son of God, come down off the cross. And the enemies are laughing and the crowds are gaping and mocking and they think to themselves, I have overcome the world. Doesn't look too good. Looks like the world overcame him, because there he goes. But you know, that's, that's why he said, a little while, you'll see me no more. You're going to sorrow, but your sorrow will be turned to joy. Right? He prepared them. And three days later, they ran to an empty tomb. And they looked in there, and they couldn't figure out where he was. Right? Where'd he go? Where'd he go? And then they realized he's alive. And his death was not the end of the story. It's the beginning of the story. This is Jesus, our conqueror. He has overcome the world. And as we live in 2024, you know what our message to the world is? We know the one who has overcome the world. We know the one who has defeated the power of death. We know the one who can forgive sins. We know the one who has the end already laid out. And he will accomplish his victory. And so we approach this life with faith and with hope with a different vision because we know the one who overcomes the world. If you need a motivational saying, I hope you don't just put up try hard. Try this one. Jesus has overcome the world. That 
will motivate you. That will keep your spiritual heart moving in the right direction because we are in connection with the one who has overcome the world. What peace that brings. How that changes the way we view life. I know Jesus, the overcomer of this world. You have every reason to rejoice today, child of God. You have every reason to be at peace today because you have Christ. Now, for those that, that maybe you say this sounds different to me or new, maybe you say, I don't know. I, I mean, how do I know that I'm in, in connection with Christ? How do I know I believed in him? What do you have to do? Well, it's, it's more about what he has already done and about believing and receiving it. Christ came to this world as the perfect son of God, the lamb that was offered for the payment of our sins. And our part is not to do as much as it is to but respond. And we need to just be aware that we're a sinner and we needed Jesus to die for us. And that He did die for us. And His payment is sufficient for our sins. And we need to know that Jesus is the Son of God. He is God come to earth. And He is who the Bible says He is. And that we're the sinners and He's the Savior. We're the problem, He's the answer. And as we understand that, the Bible just says you believe by faith that He paid for your sins and you receive His gift of eternal life. The Bible says He who has the Son has life. He who has not the Son of God has not life. Let's bow our heads in prayer together. We're going to have a moment of response here.